This episode of the Porter Notes podcast is brought to you by Sheila Trago Baby Quip. Leave the bulky baby gear at home. Traveling with a baby means packing a lot of stuff. Now, instead of lugging everything from home, you can rent clean and safe baby gear essentials at your destination and have them delivered before you arrive. If you are planning to travel to the Southwest Florida area, go to babyquip.com slash Sheila473. S-H-I-E-L-A-473. And Sheila Trago will be able to provide you with the baby gear you need. Not traveling, but instead expecting a house full? No worries. We've got you covered. Choose from cribs, car seats, strollers, toys, and so much more. Proudly serving Collier and Lee counties. Go to babyquip.com slash Sheila473 to find out more. Do you know about Zaya? Zaya Active is an active lifestyle brand. It is also a culture that believes in embracing activity with excitement, vigor, and delight. Zaya feels that pushing your body and mind is easier and more fun with friends and family. Their mission is to inspire and uplift by making activity a fun and essential part of life. Contact Alicia Birch. Zaya Independent Representative to book a product party, purchase individual items, or inquire about becoming an independent representative yourself. Alicia Birch, Zaya Independent Representative, is on Facebook. Look for the group Leisha in Leggings Zaya Activewear. We'll have the link in the description of this episode. This is Alex. How are you? How are you doing? How was your day? How was your week? How was your weekend? How was the month of January? Yes, I am posting this episode on the 30th of January, which means the month has gone by. This will be our third podcast episode posted in one month. I mean, that is a big deal for us. Not since we started have we posted this many podcast episodes in one month. So we are stepping up production. It's not easy. It's just Lori and I doing all of this stuff, of course. You know that. But it's fun, and we enjoy it, and we get a lot of feedback from people. We're surprised. We have listeners to our podcast all around the world, Australia and India, France, Ireland. And these are not one-offs like bots or anything like that. These are people who listen to a number of episodes. So we're happy to have you. And please tell your friends and invite more people have them rate and review our podcast. That's kind of that's kind of our our, our proof of existence. <laughs> and like everybody else in this world, we need proof of existence. We're real people. Our podcast is a real thing. And the only way that people out there in the world know about us is by having you out there, dear listeners, regular listeners, share the podcast. This is how easy it is for you to do that. We're not even asking for you to be a sponsor, although we would love for you to be a sponsor. 
we're just asking for you to like our podcast, put up a little social media blurb, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and tell people about us. That would be just wonderful. We would we would love that. Anyway, this episode, I have an interview with ETA artist. See, I've learned a little bit. I've learned a little bit about what we used to call Elvis impersonators. I don't think that's proper any longer. Now they're called ETAs, which is Elvis Tribute Artists. This episode is an interview with Aaron Smith, who is an unique ETA, Elvis Tribute Artist. He is from Appleton, Wisconsin, the heart of Elvis country. (laughs) And he is autistic. He champions for other individuals and himself as an autistic person, as an individual who has these challenges, these difficulties, but he's overcoming it. And he's using his love of Elvis and Elvis music to reach out to many others, to show people in this world that, yes, we we do things differently. We learn differently. We understand differently, but we are capable of many great things. And that is what you're getting with Aaron. He's a ball of energy. He's great. He was a terrific interview. And I've learned quite a bit, actually, in the hour that I sat down with him about Elvis, particularly in the years that he is most interested, which is the mid-70s Elvis. But about that time period, how he was living his life and, uh, you know, the robust Elvis Presley before people, what is uh, exploited now and and kind of... uh, over-caricatured as the fat Elvis, which wasn't until the very end of his life, and that was because of the drugs he was taking. We all know this stuff. We didn't really dwell on that as much. We talked about his, Aaron's, view of what was a more triumphant and magnanimous and just gifted performer, which is that era, that Vegas, Hawaii era of Elvis. So it's a very interesting conversation. If you love Elvis or ETAs or autistic people, uh, it's all these things combined. I, I don't mean to laugh because it's it's a funny thing. It's just interesting because of how we have this delineation of people and we feel like there should be some sort of uh, label. And Aaron is really good at working through that And in the interview, I feel like we've really managed to work through some of that. So, yes, the interview with Aaron Smith. I've been looking forward to posting this for quite some time. Before we get to that, I just want to say hello to our friends back in Wisconsin. We know it's been cold. We're with you. We see it every day. We're still friends. And, of course, we have relatives back in the Midwest, uh, in Chicago and uh, elsewhere in the Midwest, and we feel for you. It's been really bitter. It's that time of year, January, February. Uh, Stick with us, folks. At least there's some sunny days. They might be too cold to do much of anything outside, but you could definitely 
look outside and see some beautiful sunshine and the sunlight glistening off the snow. It's a wonderful thing. And please stick with us. Summer is right around the corner for you folks. And all of the wonderful things that you like to do in the summer and feelings of freedom and happiness and warmth and joy, they're there. You'll get through Easter and things will start to take that upswing. So I know it's hard, I know it's cold, and I know sometimes it's really gray and it's dark a lot. But everything is going to get better. It always does. So, okay, I'll do a little bit of a wrap-up here after my interview with ETA, Elvis tribute artist, Aaron Smith. What's it like up there in Appleton right now? Oh, it's a real nice, like, four degrees. <laughs> Look at you over there. He goes, I know, I know. This is my first winter in Florida, and it was really strange. Christmas was really weird. I got to tell you that because... Uh, Why is that? Well, there was no snow. I, I you know, I, I've lived my whole life either in Chicago or Wisconsin, and so I didn't, I, it didn't feel like Christmas at all. Not even a little no. bit. No. I was down in Florida last year briefly to do some shows uh, uh, to perform down there, but it was my first time being down there. So Sure. Where did you go? I went to Miami. Oh. And Cutler Bay. Uh, I'm on the other side of the state. I'm on the Gulf side, so I'm not familiar with that okay. area. How were the audiences for you? Decent. It was decent. Yeah? It was very It was very impromptu because we may, I went down to visit my buddies uh who travels with me Mm -hmm. and does security for me his godparents live down there so then we just made a a week of it while we were down there since we drove from wisconsin to florida we're like let's just make a week (laughs) yeah it's two days of it is on the road anyway so you might as well make the most that you can (laughs) we only stopped i want to say I want to say we stopped in in atlanta Mm -hmm. and that was it but it was interesting because we took we took we started really early and then we just went and i want to say we only stopped in indiana for food mm-hmm. and to fill up once in atlanta so it was yeah. just the two of you on that road trip it was uh, myself uh, his brother um and me so the three of you then broke up the driving yes yeah. yes i didn't cuz it's his brother's car but it was him and his brother that drove his fancy Lincoln. So he's very particular <laughs> with his car, <laughs> which I didn't, I didn't mind that because I, I joked with his brother joked with uh, my buddy's name is Sebastian. He's the one that travels with me. His brother's mm-hmm. name is Daniel. Mm-hmm. And his brother, Daniel goes, Sebastian, you're going to get used to this. Aaron's riding in the back seat Cause the star has to ride in the back seat. <laughs> That's why we took the black Lincoln because you want so, so my buddy's like, we're, if we're going to Miami, I want to pull up in style. 
(laughs) It sounds like you did that for sure. (laughs) We did. I just joked. I said, by the time we get down there, I said, we're going to have to stop at like a prop store. I said, I want to get you a chauffeur's cap. He goes, there's no way I'm wearing a freaking chauffeur's cap down in Miami. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So riding in style. Like like the king himself. Well, surprisingly, that car gets good gas. It's a newer Lincoln. It's like the MKZ, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like the car version. Okay. But I didn't know that it had one of those really cool settings where you can change the color of the car, like the lighting in the car. So I was really feeling myself there. (laughs) Did you play it up? Like if you stopped for gas, did you you play it up when you got out of the back seat or were you low key? I was I, I still played it up even though I was in my casual <laughs> stuff. I still am like, yeah, he's, he, he's <laughs> every time we stopped, every time we stopped, his brother purposely locked the door so Sebastian would have to go and get me out. <laughs> so so he's like, what is he's like, I have to do that. He goes, because if I unlock the door, he goes, he's gonna make you get out yourself. <laughs> <laughs> But we got quite the looks because even in my regular mm-hmm. um, hair, I still kind of dressed kind of nice. I only dressed scrubby like halfway there. And then once the second day, once we headed out of Atlanta, I was like, tried to dress nice because he's like, you won't have time to get ready. We're, we're going to get in the hotel and we're going to go. So it was the first hotel I've been at that had security in the hotel. Oh, really? And this was in Atlanta? Mm-hmm. This was in Miami. Oh, the final destination. Okay, so let me ask you this. You had shows lined up then? No, no, oh. I didn't. It was very impromptu. We ended up going to a couple bars that had karaoke, which was really nice. And I had a couple friends that were like, you have to do something. Nice. So um, I put the I put the duds on and I, I did a little something. And it was interesting because they they had other artists or people singing, but mm-hmm. it was it was interesting i talked to one of the bartender people and they're like that is the first time we've had like people recording like a bunch of people recording (laughs) one person for an extended period of time in quite a while (laughs) what year were you born in 95 gosh that's uh that's 18 years after elvis himself had passed away Mm-hmm. So how did you how did you make this connection? How did you discover Elvis, the person or Elvis's music? Which came first for you? Uh, the music, the music, the music. Well, the person, the person came first because I watched the the movies, uh, the Vegas stuff, mm-hmm. which is what I really liked. I would have been probably six years old, five or six years old when I really got into it, which is weird because with the autism, it was like I was obsessing about this. And Mm -hmm. so I really dove headfirst into it. Um, But I was fascinated with his costumes Hmm. and then the music. So it was kind of backwards. I liked the costumes. And then I went into the music part of it and watching the films um, and Vegas like the seventies Elvis is what I really liked. I really liked the excess. Sure. Um, before he gained the weight and kind of went downhill. Mm-hmm. So I liked him. I want to say like 72 to like 74, which was my favorite, the on tour stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started to practice in my parents' living room with a boom box. <laughs> I remember boom boxes. So I'm not trying <laughs> to date myself, but I had one of those big boom boxes with like the little thing you could put the CD in. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I had the, the big hand, you know, the handle. But I started practicing with an Elvis track uh-huh. at first. And then, um, 
I basically would, I did a talent show and I did stuff in high school. And that was before we had all the technology we do now where you can mute the lyrics or just mm-hmm. have the track mm-hmm. where I was a lot of those, I'd sing along with the track mm. kind of mimicking, which is good. Cause I didn't sound like him at that point anyway. <laughs> so, so maybe that was a good thing. In those early years then, how were your parents about it? Were they like, well, okay, maybe he'll grow out of it. Or were they like, uh, well, this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you've got a really good support structure behind you. Yes. My dad kind of wasn't keen into it at first. Mm-hmm. My mom was more of the like, well, he could be doing worse things. Like he could be like out with the emo kids smoking pot in the park or whatever. I don't know. I'm not against that either. But <laughs> my mom had a friend who sewed me a costume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I started to do like talent shows and drive-ins, which – the cute kid in the Elvis jumpsuit at a drive-in apparently did a lot for the establishment. So I didn't, you know, didn't get any complaints in that regard, but it was funny because I, I had so many people oh, he's so adorable. He's so cute. He's so All the old late, you know, mm-hmm. and which was fine. But even at that age, I didn't want to be adorable. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be taken seriously as, as, as an impersonator, an artist or whatever, mm-hmm. what have you. And so my dad eventually became a little more like, okay, this is what he wants to do. This is what he's going to do. Let's help him to mold and create and, and kind of push that. So I never had vocal lessons though, which Mm. a lot of people go, wow, because they wanted to do that, but it was expensive. So I just would practice in my room. I, I had a great choir teacher that was very, um, she was into the Beatles and she was younger mm-hmm. and she was cute. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, she helped me a lot with vocals and taking that extra time to always find a part for me, which I kind of got my vocal lessons. I always say in like high school from her, because mm-hmm. I was really into trying to perfect the voice. Even then when everybody wanted to play football and, and all that stuff, I was really wanting to work on my voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you can, my mom used to say, you can have the look, you can have the costuming, you can have, all this stuff, but if you sound like a wounded moose, nobody's going to want to pay to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I want to go on record as saying I'm not exactly sure what a wounded moose sounds like, but <laughs> but I can imagine it, it, it's probably hair raising. I don't. I, I, I was going to say us Midwestern folk, we only hear wolves and 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 you know the occasional seagull or geese in our parts so i mean i don't either i have a elvis friend out in canada so he can probably tell me when he sees the program but i no, i don't i don't and so uh, they were my mom the nice thing about my family they never told me what i wanted to hear that i i, I now in hindsight appreciate that hmm. because you know I, i've had a lot of people go well your mom always thinks you sound great mm-hmm. no my mm-hmm. mom wasn't like that she would as I got older, 16, 17, when I started to want to uh, do the competitions and stuff with other ATA Elvis tribute artists, she she would let me have it. Hmm. And she'd be like, no, you look great, but do you want to be the Elvis guy that's like basking for money on the side of the corner in Vegas? Or do you want to be the one that's playing at the Hilton with a standing hmm. venue? Mm-hmm. Who do you want to be? So I, at that point, I started watching the on-tour footage. Okay. Uh, that's the way it is. Um, some of the stuff on YouTube, the fan footage, mm-hmm. um, just really st- – I'd watch it in that for the for the moves first, 
mm-hmm. and then I'd rewatch it for the vocals. The autism part, I could only process one at a time. Sure. So I had to watch and really take note. I, I say I've probably watched almost everything, but that was at a time before now where there's so much new footage with different platforms and mm-hmm. different ways of uploading and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I watched so much of it and I never got sick of it. I know my parents, because I had my a computer in my room. Mm-hmm. So I would do a lot of, when I wasn't playing video games, I'd be watching. And I just remember the rehearsing helped me get my own computer because we, you know, back then you just had the one computer in mm-hmm. the living room mm-hmm. or in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because they'd be like, we have to get him in his own computer because I can't listen to Elvis at Madison Square Garden 556 <laughs> times. <laughs> so, so it worked to my advantage. <laughs> the only thing I'd have to say that was frustrating at that age was the not having the accessibility to like all these tracks now that mm-hmm. are coming out. Mm-hmm. Well, it is amazing uh, when you consider twofold on one side, there's video. And when you see fan filming, because at the time it was super eight cameras and, and mm-hmm. you know, th- there weren't actually even video cameras in the seventies that, that were out in the consumer that easily anyway. What that means is that it wasn't the stuff that was highly produced. So you really got to see what it was like coming off the stage um which is a little little different when uh you know when when uh elvis presley uh you know the corporation put something out there they put his very best and not to say that he wasn't always at his best but you got to see some you get to see some some real performance from him now and 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 i can definitely appreciate that and also too now with a lot of the remasters they're issuing alternate takes on songs Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting, too, because you get to see the process of how his vocal inflections were sometimes and what they determined was going to be the best way to approach the lines. Well, and I love that you say that because that's, you know, there's so much stuff that wasn't released then that it was we were just getting searching for that error, searching for mm-hmm. just maybe like a, a one minute and 58 second clip. Sure that we saw in a movie and you'd have to search for that. Now, I mean, I'm finding, especially like you said, with, with the estate and Elvis Presley enterprises, now they're releasing the full concert Mm -hmm. and maybe say the morning show, the dinner show and the midnight show. Mm -hmm. Obviously it's the same set list, but you're getting to see, now you don't have to search for that one part. You can search for that concert date Mm -hmm. and be like, that's the part that's, this is the, the show I needed. (laughs) <laughs> for my uh, for my show and for my study wise of, of getting it period perfect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the era that you that you prefer um, what what most people know of that time period are his Hawaii shows Aloha from Hawaii mm-hmm. is during that time yes. would you say for you that was the apex of his performances Aloha from Hawaii yeah Aloha and that's the way it is at the at the International Hotel in Las Vegas where mm-hmm. though that was my at a young age being like, that's it. That's what I want to do. This is the niche. I'm diving full force into this era, this kind of chunk mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Elvis Presley's career. So during that, you know, during that time period, as, as now you, you learn the songs and, and you sing the songs and, and, and you make this connection with them. What are some of your favorite tunes that you like to sing? Now, not asking for ones that you know the crowd loves, but your favorites for you. 
I would have to say probably Suspicious Minds, mm -hmm. um, Burning Love, uh, That's a Right Mama, mm. and uh, Don't Cry Daddy, or not, not Don't Cry Daddy, sorry, that's from the same album, I think, Kentucky Rain. Hmm. And those happen to be pretty good crowd pleasers as well. Yes, yes. You know, and it's nice because those are the ones I'm best at vocally because you practice the songs that you like. Because sometimes my, I don't want to say the performance fluctuates, but there's a couple of those songs that it's like, you know, you're really trying to like mm -hmm. hold the microphone away because you can't hit that. Like uh, American Trilogy, that's oh. a really hard one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, My Way, that's another really hard one. Well, Elvis himself sometimes had some challenges with performance. Mm -hmm. uh, he would get a little choked up sometimes in, in some of the songs. And he, he'd kind of play it off humor-wise. Oh, yeah. Sometimes oh, yeah. He, he didn't really show his vulnerable side all that much in public. Well, that's the funny thing because I don't either. So I always laugh because <laughs> I have people in my inner circle mm -hmm. that know the real me. <laughs> and then there's the people that know, like, okay, we got to turn it on. It's showtime me. Mm -hmm, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, I can definitely relate to that. I think being an entertainer is tough. And for me, the tough part is feeling like people are going to judge you. Oh, of course. That's, that's where I kind of struggle with, with being comfortable. Do you think that Elvis had that? Like when he was doing Are You Lonesome Tonight, that was that was a very vulnerable song. And that, that was one of the ones I was thinking of specifically where he would mm -hmm. kind of break up a little in the middle. Do you think that even at that point in his career, he was performing for gosh over 20 years then publicly do you think that yep, he still early do you think that he still cared about about the public perception i think he did but i think part of that is because colonel got in his head even mm. in those early years the colonel got in his head i think and i think being a southern gentleman or a southern boy or a good old boy or however you want to put it mm -hmm. um he was very genuine he was raised genuine you're raised in the South, the mm -hmm. kindness thing. So I think that, yeah, I think once he got, once he got famous, I think, I don't know if he, cause I, from, I've, I've heard from friends of his uh, inner circle who are, mm -hmm. they're so old now, but I've heard from a lot of the people that worked with him that he was always himself all generally most of the time, except for in Vegas. Mm -hmm and on stage, but he was always a generous person. Mm. So I'd have to say management, but didn't help him because it was, there was so much pressure from the Hilton staff, the hotel, the Colonel, mm -hmm. um, where I think the only pe person that he could be himself around was probably Jerry Schilling, Joe Esposito, Priscilla, and his entourage, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, because I've heard from people who live in Memphis that in his hometown, he would, take the Cadillac out to McDonald's and buy everybody hamburger, like, mm -hmm. which is to be expected. Cause in my hometown, I'm, I still feel like I have to be on, hmm. uh, like an alert or a professional stance. Mm -hmm. But if I go to some dive bars locally or places where I hang out with my friends that I don't, mm -hmm. cause they've mm -hmm. seen me out of the character. It's interesting in drawing parallels actually, because in the early years for Elvis, uh, in fact, his his father, who was his business manager pretty early on, he had an, an office right there on, on the Graceland property. 
I have been in that office. What do you think of that sign on there? No loafing or <laughs> take your business and leave or whatever. Well, um, Aaron, you're not you're not a dad yet. When you become a dad, you'll you'll realize that uh, you, you lose a lot of your patience for for smart mouth kids. <laughs> and that's what that's how I read that sign. Did you? Did yeah. you? You were that's like, a, that's what I saw. Need one. Yep. Yeah. Just like uh, um, uh, the character from that '70s show. What was it? Red, the dad. Red. Who, oh, yeah. Who Red. always calls everybody dumbass. Yeah. Let me let me take this back here because you touched on something. You've talked to some of Elvis's circle. Yes. How does that come about? So I was blessed i always say for me it was like that like gift of elvis if you will or like things happen because this wasn't planned okay um i was playing in memphis in Mm -hmm. 2017 i was down there for elvis week and i was playing at a place i sang at a place called the 152 club on beale street okay which was fantastic establishment fantastic uh uh i want to say they had these little mini sliders now i'm going sidetracked the food was great the drinks and food were great everything was good for anybody who might listen to this podcast um memphis as soon as you get out of your car when you drive into memphis the entire town smells like barbecue yep Yep. Yep. It smells like barbecue and like sticky heat. You, you you can't talk about Memphis without talking about music or food. Or food. Or yep. f- and everybody in Memphis, it's either Elvis, BB King, barbecue or Southern hospitality. That's Absolutely. Whole, but which is fantastic. Um, but there's a there's a vibe there, which I think is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, of all the old time, the Motown stuff, rock oh, and yeah. roll, Johnny Cat, it's it's all there. And um, so I was playing, and then the next day, um, they uh, I was going down there to like see one of the other Elvises or some of the other entertainers because it's Elvis week. It's a week of like probably like two hundred to three hundred Elvis tribute artists mm-hmm. from all over the world that get together, which was great. So I was going down there to see another guy and um, I went in for to see a gentleman, uh, another gentleman performing down there at at uh, Alfred's on Neil, mm-hmm. which is another barbecue bar okay. place. Um, and I went in there and I see George Klein and I see uh, Elvis's nurse and I see, uh, Mark James. Let me back you up for a second. George Klein, for those who don't know, who is George Klein? George Klein was Elvis's head of security and his best friend uh, when he went to school in Memphis at Humes High School. Okay. Okay. In the 50s. And George actually, George and Red West, uh, the West boys in high school, actually, Elvis was picked on quite a bit. Mm. So they they stood up to him or to the, the people that were bullying him for wearing the flashy clothes. Cause even then he was wearing a pink sports coat and a mm-hmm. white silk shirt. You know, he's dressing really loud mm-hmm. and driving a pink car. So, you know, it's redneck. And I remember hearing a story from one of the guys that said red West was there and all these jocks and as red, uh, red put them redneck dumbasses. That's what red said. <laughs> got Elvis brought him in the bathroom and they said, well, we're going to cut this boy's hair. We don't like it. He's looking like a fairy. He looks a little fruity. Mm. And Red came into the bathroom because he had to use the bathroom anyway. Didn't know this was going on. This is how they met. Comes into the bathroom and he, you know, he's got to go go to use the bathroom. And he sees these guys. Oh, Red, you want to come in? Like, because Red was cool with these guys too. But after that, he wasn't. 
Um, and he goes, we're going to cut this boy's hair. He looks fruity. And he goes, well, <clears throat> he goes, it doesn't look like he wants his hair cut to me. Hmm. And, and, well, well, he looks different. He goes, and there's something wrong with that. He goes, if you cut his hair, you're going to have to cut mine hair. And, and there ain't a whole hell of a lot to cut. Hmm. So that's how, that's how they bonded. And this was in the, in high school in the fifties, 55, 56. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, and George Klein's similar situation was he was getting harassed and bullied and, and that sort of thing. And George was one of those people who didn't bully him. So in the later years in the sixties and seventies, Elvis, when he started doing those, I say the sixties movies were good, but not all of them were good because okay. he didn't even like win those movies. <laughs> Colonel had him in that contract. He wanted to be in front of live performer sure. Colonel on stage. Um, he had all the guys and said, come on, you want to come work for me when he had that money. Mm -hmm. So all those people that stuck up for him eventually became, became part of what's known as the Memphis mafia, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which was incredible. But yeah, back to Memphis, I was there and I saw, I knew who the people were. Not a lot of people. I mean, the other Elvises did, but not a lot of people did. So, which was nice because they weren't making a scene. They were mm -hmm. all at this long private table in the back of the restaurant. Sure. And I went over there. Cause that's just my personality. I'll talk to anybody, which is a blessing and it's a curse. Um, but I walked over there and I said, Hey, I said, Hey, you're George Klein. Can I say, can I get a picture? And he, he had this look on his face. Like your personality resembles a young Elvis. You're because of the, the outgoingness of, he goes, you know, most people kind of look at me. He's like, they look at you. He goes, they kind of stand around. He goes, you just went up and asked me. He goes, let's get a picture, kid. Huh. And so we got our picture and I was talking to Mark, Mark James and his nurse. And uh, it was the most positive experience I've had because it was all positive towards me. They were hmm. like, where are you from? You have an accent. We're from Wisconsin. So I'm like, I didn't hmm. have the Southern I sounded Canadian. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then they said, how you know, you weren't alive when he was alive. What's making you want to do this. And the fact that a lot of guys that they see down there, um, they wish the younger generation would do the seventies mm. mm -hmm. because, and that's uh, like the jumpsuits are a very tight costume. Mm -hmm. So it's like you get the, the bigger gentleman, which I'm not knocking anybody, but I'm just from the, the people that knew him, they want him portrayed in those jumpsuits in a, better light yeah. if you will yeah mm -hmm. um and they're like you know people your age can do the 50s and the 60s and the 70s they're like but if 70s was a lot of their favorite because that was their time where they got to travel with them mm -hmm. they remember mm -hmm. that that they're like you you know it's good to see younger kids doing the 70s and then not making a caricature of, of him because i knew him that was mm -hmm. my friend so it's it's frustrating when he sees people I guess joking about fat Elvis or, or making that type of a look on on just that one era, which is completely not true. Sure. If it, it, that whole era, uh, you know, he was heavy probably the last two years of his life. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. that does not, in my opinion, cover the whole seventies era. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I and so then they appreciated your respect, well, and your appreciation of his contributions in the later years of his performing life. Yes. Yes. They, they were like, you really, you show him in a good light and you know, it's guys like you that aren't making a joke out of this guy. That's why 
why he's why they're doing the stuff in Memphis. I mean, it's the pros, and I'm not saying I'm a pro. I have a lot to learn, but it's the ones that are taking it really seriously and studying the material, mm-hmm. which. I didn't even know who Mark James was when I met him. I, I, I had to do research, but then I'm like, oh, that's Mark James. And then the irony of it was he wrote Suspicious Minds, one of my favorite songs to perform. So that was that was interesting. And I think that helped me a little bit because I didn't know who I was meeting. Sure. It helped me to be able to to be more fluent and, and be myself verbally. Mm-hmm. Versus being like, oh, my God, I'm talking to the guy that recorded in Studio <laughs> B. And oh, my God, I'm the sweat profusely through this suit and look like a drug addict. I don't know. Like, I just, yeah, just, I just, it, it really, it helped, but meeting his nurse who was there when Elvis passed, that, that was touching for me, Marion, because she's still alive. And it was just, it was crazy because like, you know, you get the young kid that doesn't want to listen to the old person telling the story about, way back when in the mm-hmm. days of old mm-hmm. I was soaking all this up oh sure like moment wise it was just I could not get enough of hearing it from the people that were there do you ever get stage fright <laughs> yes 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 I do and it never it always comes about maybe 45 minutes before uh, a curtain call showtime at 15 yeah about 15 45 to 15 minutes yeah even still Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what do you do? You just push through it? You turn it into excitement? <laughs> I do karate. That's what I do. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hot damn. No. Um, I uh, I pace. I pace and mm-hmm. I have one drink before the show. That takes mm-hmm. the edge off. Yeah. Yeah. And usually that'll be in my suite wherever we are playing. I, and I, and I, I'll sit with my buddy and I'll go, man, like just him, not like, cause usually there's other people that will lead me down to wherever, but like, usually I share my room with my friend and I'll sit with him in the suite and I'll be like, what do you think? Like, how are they? I'll have him go down and look at the crowd first. <laughs> <laughs> cause it takes me you know, a while to do the hair. So <laughs> I'll have him go down and I'll go, what do you think? Are they good? Will they like, that's always the question I say, do they, will they like me? I ask that almost every time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, he goes, you're fantastic. It's that confidence hearing it from someone that's not going to, again, tell me what I want to hear. Of course. That, that I need to hear because I have a big ego. That's the, not personally, but like when I put the outfit on and like showtime, I say the ego cancels, the ego cancels out the nervousness. That's why I put the ego on to like squash those thoughts Mm -hmm. so I can get up and do my thing. Um, But that, that I would have to say, I still do. Yeah. I still, I still kind of go, Oh my God. When do you catch traction then middle of the first song? Is it, does it kick in? Usually the second song, Mm. usually right after the second song. Cause you know, I would do in the seventies, you open with that big space odyssey, Mm -hmm. which again, I love, but I don't love because it's like a one minute song and I'm standing there behind the curtain <laughs> while this is playing going as Elvis would say. And he did say this when he played the Hilton in the seventies, mm-hmm. uh, when he first started, when he played, that's the way it is. It was the early, early seventies. It was first time report, returning to the stage. And he said that theme was playing that dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. 
And there's a scene where where his his buddy George Klein walks up to him to give him a water. He takes his medication and he looks at George because he has another like 15 minutes of this intro. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Too late to back out now." And you get they, MGM's got like a full body shot of him in the white fringe suit. Mm-hmm. And they they pan down to like just like his bell bottoms and his boots. Mm-hmm. And he's so nervous. They're just watching the boots like pitter patter and the fringe of his belt go back and forth. And his hands are like he's, he's just so. <laughs> but I get I get nervous because this this the business is so cutthroat these days. I mean, mm-hmm. there's kids that are like, which I'm 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 really happy to see. There's kids that are like four, five, six, seven, eight years old that are doing this which is great, mm-hmm. but it's so cutthroat that you kind of always have to have a little bit of vulnerability in you so you don't get full of yourself and you don't lose that edge to practice and to stay on your best because there's there's a kid by the name of Finley Watkins. I want to say he's like maybe 14, 15 years old, but he was on the Ellen Show and he's doing a lot. Um, and there's there's a couple younger guys, uh, Cody Damith, Braxton Sykes, that are younger than me that are doing it. And it's like you don't want to lose that grip and kind of fade away or, or gain too much weight or do this so mm-hmm. you don't don't lose that spot. Now, it's interesting because you mentioned being in Memphis and there were other performers at the time. Was was this a convention or something that you were at or? Yeah, it was Elvis week, and in Elvis week they have all the all the ultimate tribute artists come down, like the legends in concert type uh, guys, like the Jay Dupuis and the Dean Z's and the you know the ones that are doing it at like Myrtle Beach, and mm-hmm. Vegas, and the the really the pros, the Bill Cherries, and um, it, it's a week where they have what's called the ultimate. And it's called the Ultimate Elvis Tribute Artist Contest. Mm-hmm. And it lasts a week. There's like pro, non-pro, semifinals. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a whole thing. And um, it's held at a theater down there. I want to say it's the New Daisy Theater okay. where all the guys uh, compete. And um, I'd have to say I compared it to an anime convention. Hmm. Interesting. It's funny. You walk, you walk backstage at the New Daisy Theater or, or the hotels mm-hmm. down there, the nicer ones that we stay at. I mean – you walk into the lobby and you feel like you're in Vegas. There's like 200 guys in white jumpsuits running around with, with the gold glasses and the big, you know, it's 85 Cadillacs out front of all different colors and like mm-hmm. so many wigs and like, it's just, it's, it's insane. But the good ones even make me go, Oh my God, it's him. Hmm. Like that. Some of them are really good. And I've met some of the guys and some of them that did do this. I mean, other side of the token, being in the audience, some of these guys make me lose my mind. Oh my God, like, <laughs> thank you, think he's there. They're that good. Well, do you think that they're, you know, maybe in the upper echelon of, of performers, do you think that there's less of a level of competition and more of a level of, of cooperation. Like, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're where they are. They're confident in where they are and they like to see a younger guy maybe come up. I mean, did you ever get any, any um, words of wisdom or any advice from, from any other performers? I did. I got, I mean, not a lot, but I got a a little bit of, you know, mentoring mm-hmm. from some of the guys down there, from costuming to vocals to, um, 
No, the biggest, the greatest advice I got was don't always do the songs that you like because you don't want to get used to being that comfortable to where you can't accept new material. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Because there was a guy by the name of Doug Church. Him and I were, were, he's another ETA. He was down there. And there's another guy by the name of, um, uh, he's not an ETA, Ronnie McDowell. He wasn't down there, but he wrote a song that a lot of the Elvis tribute artists, he could have been down there, I don't know. A lot of the other tribute artists, the one non-Elvis song they do is, a, it's a Ronnie McDowell song, and it's a, called The King Is Gone. Okay. And it was a song that he did driving home the night he found out that Elvis died. Hmm. And so, um, but I, the wisdom is, d- don't be afraid to try new material. Um, and I, I'd have to say I learned that one from Bill Cherry. Because um, he did his 70s set, and then he went into this Billy Crash Craddock song called Rub It In. Uh, and, and he's got a little thing on the stage where he turns, the stage turns. Hmm. And he started this down there, and now he does it wherever he goes. He has a little thing that turns the stage, and it's it's called the Bill Cherry Rub Around. But it used to just be called the, the like, the interim part of the show where he's, you know, just singing other other Elvis song, but it was interesting because learning that song and the new material part, that song is as is as as he calls them, you know, it's a song, the turnaround song, because all the old lady, oh my god, <laughs> so so I was joke. He 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 goes whenever there's places that don't have the revolving stage, he goes, I need to get a stage that turns. <laughs> 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 but yeah, good advice. Good advice from the guys that really do it. And I would have to say the best would probably be, you know, obviously the material one, but the other one is don't ever think you're him. Mm. Guys that think they're him in this business, it's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. It's disrespectful because there will never be another one. And 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 that's not why you do this. You don't become an Elvis tribute artist to be better than the man himself. You do it to pay tribute to the memory and the legacy of one of the greatest entertainers of our time, or Elvis Aaron Presley. And I laugh because I've been asked, why did they name you that? Is there any connection to your name? (laughs) So you touched upon this uh, a little bit here, and I'd like to go just a little bit deeper here. You are somewhere on the autism spectrum. Yes. So would you mind elaborating on that a little bit for us? Oh, absolutely. Um, I am high functioning. I'm autistic, but I'm high functioning. So it's, you know, unless you really knew me, you wouldn't know that 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 is something that I happen to struggle with. Um, But I'm high functioning. I was diagnosed in the I want to say like 99, so early 2000s, late 90s, um, which I struggled a lot with math and reading but um it was interesting because as you know you obsess about things or you enjoy things i i I loved history certain topics i was terrible at and you know as with anybody um certain topics i excelled at Mm -hmm. so um but the hardest thing growing up with that was dealing with multiple counselors multiple doctors just in the early 2000s there wasn't as much accessibility and as much advocacy as there is today and technology to, mm. to help people with that. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to say, 
I don't want to say I was one of the first, but I was at that early, early stage where the technology was just starting there, but it was kind of trial by error mm-hmm. type of a lifestyle at, at that early time. But um, later years, the bullying was terrible. I mean, people think, you know, you look normal, so you wouldn't have that. No, I probably had almost damn near everything happen to me that could happen to someone. I mean, I'm, I'm probably not everything, but what felt like pretty close to uh, like a, why is this like, does it get better? <laughs> <laughs> That's where I, and I, and I find that being a good thing and people are going to go, why would that be a good thing? Now with my music, it, not having a lot of friends at that time, I would study the music. I would go to my room by myself and I would really, it gave me time to myself that I didn't appreciate then that I can appreciate now because I had the time to really uh, uh, study music and, and kind of try to direct myself in a way where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. But the depression was probably the worst part because even though I occupied my time, I still wanted what the other kids my age had, mm-hmm. the friendships mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. the time to play and, and, and parties. And I just wanted that, but it was just hard because you know, it's not fun when only one person comes to your birthday party, you know, that sort of thing. So sure, that was sure. very difficult because at a young age, you don't understand why they get it, but you don't get it. Was it going into school when some of these characteristics started to show themselves to your family? Because you mentioned you're born, what, in 95, right? 95. And so, so early 2000s then is, is when... Um, you know, you had mentioned that, that you had received, you had received diagnosis or at least you were seeing counseling at that point. So was mm-hmm. it, was it school? Was it other interaction with kids or did you find, did your parents find something else that, that made them consider that perhaps, you know, they needed some help to determine what was the best approach for you? I you know, my mom was really good about individualized learning and trying to to figure out not only what would be best for me but what would also be best for kids like me which really helped because she saw the bigger picture that I didn't see and that my dad didn't necessarily see at that time either because he's like well this is just one other thing they can pick on him for Mm, mm -hmm, you know or mm -hmm. whatever so um I get that as a dad as a father trying to protect your kids and 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 I get that Mm -hmm. um but I would have to say my mom tried to look for resources Mm -hmm. uh, for me, but also for people like me. She was very uh, big in in advocating for, for, for parents and uh, individuals that, that had this problem because she goes, if it can be easier for someone else, then it's not, you know, less of a fight for someone else. Mm -hmm. Cause at that time it was really a, a pulling teeth type of situation with the school districts, counselors, the whole bit. It was, never seemed to get better or there was always a hoop to jump through as she would say well and you're talking about appleton wisconsin i mean yes yes i i yes, don't I, I don't know what the current population is and appleton i've been to appleton a number of times and it's a it's a it's a great little town it's terrific but i wouldn't necessarily say i mean unfortunately maybe for you guys it's smack dab between milwaukee and and um the twin cities right or Chicago and the Twin Cities. Yeah. So Milwaukee, Chicago, Green Bay, we're in the middle of all those. Minneapolis, St. Paul. So maybe that helped to get some resources for your mom, yes? 
Yes, the traveling and the different people that did being in, I call it the triangle of opportunity mm. because you had Green Bay, you had Minneapolis, St. Paul, Chicago, Milwaukee, mm. uh, Madison, not too much in Michigan, but the other, those other areas, mm -hmm. it, it did help for sure. Um, I'd have to say I, you know, I had my aunt, my aunt lives in St. Paul and, and Minneapolis it, it, as is, as the Appleton now, but it wasn't when I was needing it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, now we have a very progressive, oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. No, living in those, that triangle of resources definitely, definitely helped at the time because in bigger cities, there's more opportunities and there's mm -hmm. also a lot more doctors. That field is a lot more broad. Sure, of course. Resource-wise. Of course. Now, the, the few people... I know who register on the autism spectrum. One of the things, similar characteristics for them is a, I, the word that comes to mind and, and then I apologize, it might not be the correct word, but is a, a no. fixation or, a, or, uh, y you know, sort of, um, they are they're Obsessing? yeah but but um hyper legalistic on things and by that i mean to say like if something is done this way this is the way that it is always done so this is something that i've experienced with people again whom i know so uh when something happens at eight o'clock it has to always happen at eight o'clock or there's something wrong or why wouldn't it or that sort of thing now I'm going to That'd be accurate. This is this is this is a bit of a loaded question, I guess. But would you say that that was something that maybe helped you? Was that a lemons to lemonade sort of thing in terms of your um, delving into the, the works and, and wanting to represent uh, Elvis then? Do you think that that was a characteristic that helped you? I really do. I really do. I routine. I really, really do. I think the routine part, and I'd have to say the part of the show has to go this way every time, and it has to be this era, and I have to do this song and this song and that song and this song. Mm -hmm. So yes, yes, I would. I would have to say that was one of the positive things of, of, of the baggage that comes along with, with autism and, and, and Asperger's. I'd say that was very positive. It was also in the personal side of my personal life for my family. It, it was a positive, but it also was a negative. Cause you know, you have a family in family life, especially in the household, not everything goes on track <laughs> day to day. So <laughs> do you have any brothers or sisters? I do. I have, uh, uh, I have two brothers and I have one sister and then I have one half sister. And where do you fall in terms of age with all of them? Are you the youngest? I am the youngest. I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest. I'm the spoiled one. I'm the, oh, Aaron got this. I'm also the one that's not married yet. <laughs> well, you know, somewhere somewhere out there, there's a, a screaming fan, I'm sure, that is going to... She'll gather the courage, I would imagine. But, you know, those shoes, you're filling some pretty large shoes. They are. They are. I had a lady in Tennessee who ran up and tried to take my belt off. Oh, my goodness. Memphis. Yes. And if it wasn't a 24-karat gold belt with rubies and diamonds and, like, the replica <laughs> of my – I call it my office. If it wasn't a part of my office, <laughs> I, I would have said, here, take it. But it was 
it's it's part of my office, I say, because the it's the interesting thing of what not a lot of people know is a lot of the outfits mm-hmm. cost more than the traveling. Oh, I'd imagine that's true. Which is insane to me. Um, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I don't even have a jumpsuit yet. I have a lot of the 70s material, but the jumpsuits, they're just so expensive. <laughs> they're so expensive and they're not free moving on stage mm-hmm. as the silk shirts are or the bell bottoms or the two piece material are. But yeah, you know, I know my sister has been very, she's, she's a librarian and mm-hmm. she has two wonderful, wonderful kids um, and a wonderful husband. And she was always very pushing me to do better, mm-hmm. not only in my uh, entertainment world, but also on a level of a personal level. Mm-hmm. Uh, she counseled me or tutored me a lot at a young age for reading and math and writing um, because she got frustrated with the way the schools were handling things. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate that she pushed me to do that because my father did as well, but it, it took him a little while before he understood that some of the things I was doing, I really didn't have any control over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause there were a lot of things, you know, growing up, it's like, you're doing that on purpose, knock it off, you know, <laughs> where, where it, it took a while for, and it took her to explain it a little bit too a younger person and a person who's working in the school to be like, no, this is a thing. It's a tick. It's a thing. It's, it's, he's not doing it to push your buttons. Not to say I didn't do that sometimes because I sure <laughs> as hell did that quite a bit. Well, mom said, <laughs> think about it in these terms. You weren't consciously doing this, but it does require a challenge to authority figures, mm-hmm. specifically a challenge to the way that they think and they process things. Because everybody does things the same way. And mm-hmm. it wasn't a conscious decision on your part. And I'm, I'm assuming this based on our conversations. It wasn't a conscious no, decision right. on your part to pose these challenges. But you required a little bit more time, a little bit more work. Yes. It was stressful, too. And I, I, I could say that now. Because, I mean, looking at my dad, not only do I look at him as... Uh, I say a hero in a way, my mom and dad, but I'd say hindsight, you don't appreciate it at a young age. You mm-hmm. don't get it because, and you don't appreciate what your parents are always doing for you. Um, but I look at it as, as, as it's tough. It was, I wasn't an easy kid to, to, and it wasn't an easy thing to do mm-hmm. raising somebody with learning difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obsessed with Elvis and that plays Elvis around the house 24 hours a day to where, Mm-hmm. you're having to go to the basement to listen to your own records because like I remember my dad saying I had a love for Elvis I had an appreciation for Elvis but like when you listen to Elvis every single day you lose the appreciation for some of your vinyl collection because it's just like the hell with it stop burning some of them you know <laughs> but, um, I would have to say he really tried to not only stand up for me to other parents but to be patient. And I tested that patience, hmm. but he was incredible. And he still is, you know, there for me, which is great because I, uh, I can talk to him a little more freely than I can talk to other people in my family. Mm-hmm. But I would have to say the stress, uh, I don't think I, in hindsight, could have done what he did and had the patience that he had for me growing up. 
especially at a younger age, which I'd have to say was worse than my teenage age. I'd have to say my younger age was, I was more rebellious at that stage than I was as a teenager. Given your position and your public persona, then how do you feel, and knowing that it's hard as a kid, how do you feel you represent people with autism to a younger generation? Do you work with kids? Do you, do you have that foresight before you do something, before you do a public thing, before you do an interview like this? Do you have that foresight to know, do you think this is something that maybe a kid out there is going to hear or see? Maybe this will inspire them in some way. Yeah, I'd say my mom. My mom is always in the back of my head, and she was that way. Mm -hmm. So my mom is always in the back of my head, and there's a lady by the name of her name's Brooke, and she uh, she's always in the back of my head as well. So it's it's those people, and 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 there's another lady by the name of Cindy. So there's a lot of people that work um, with people that with disabilities that I know that are always kind of back there, going, you know do good or what would you like to see if you were watching you mm. at that age, I guess. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that because I want to make it better for teens and children and, and other people with it because I wish there was someone that did that for me at that age. And with the different social media platforms, I think that if it can be not only my status as an entertainer, but my status as somebody with autism and, and a part of that community, if that can be used for, for good, for a positive thing, um, that's where I want it to go as far as helping other individuals across, uh, across the world with, with that struggle, uh, you know, cause not all families have those resources. So I think that's very important. Cause I still struggle with things. I mean, I still struggle with, you know, I have people that'll come in and help me with some daily living skills and I'll have some people that'll help me with, with planning, um, lists and, and, you know, everyday things to do sometimes, um, uh, doctor's appointments, that sort of thing. Um, and, and so I still have a little bit of help, but I'm blessed because, uh, the independence level is a little more, um, I'd say advanced than other people that sit on that on that spectrum so out there somewhere is maybe a, a kid you know a, a a young Aaron figure and they're struggling because they're they're not you know they're they're not able to understand why things are different for them or why things are more challenging for them what would you what would you say to what would you say to that kid now i'm not saying i'm not saying what would you say if you had a time machine to go back and talk to yourself ship up and shape out kid you're gonna poke your eye out no i'm just <laughs> but what would you say to that kid who maybe happens across this podcast episode and says oh well you know here's here's a guy who's high functioning but still on the spectrum and you know, he's doing something, you know, how did he do it? Or, or, you know, I don't think I could ever do it. What would you say to that kid? I would say, first of all, get that thought out of your head because that thought's going to, going to cloud your, your thought with doubt and, and negative energy. And you, you don't want that. But secondly, I would say everybody was put on this earth for a purpose. It sounds cliche. I know, but everybody was put on this earth for a purpose that not to limit yourself to anything, anything you do that you're good at or that you may obsess about or that you want to do, do that because that's a gift that you have that, you know, whatever niche you want to follow, do that. And don't let people judge you. 
especially, you know, in your, your high school and elementary school and the school life, because half of those people, once you graduate, are ten to, nine times out of ten not going to be a part of your life. Hmm. They're not. The, the, the maybe good three or four will stick around. But after high school, people change and don't feel like you have to put on a facade or an image to fit in with people that don't appreciate your self-worth and who you are as a person and what you bring to the table. Where can people catch you next? I'll be at Willie Beeman's bar in Nina, Wisconsin from uh, February 18th from 8 p.m. until midnight. And then April 24th, um, possibly there's going to be a show at the American Legion in Appleton, Wisconsin, a variety show uh, for autism awareness. And that will be April 24th, I believe. I believe it's the 24th. Don't quote me on that, but that's in April. And then I have a couple shows coming up. So I'm slowly filling up my calendar of, of, of tour dates and shows. But those are the two, I think two, two shows that I have coming up um, that are there. I just got done doing one in Red Granite. So I'm trying to build it up. But that's that's where you can see me. You can always follow my Facebook page, Elvis Tribute. Elvis tribute artist Aaron Smith on Facebook and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as well. So that, that should be exciting. I'm really hoping to uh, also possibly be in Memphis, Tennessee this year for the ultimate contest. Awesome. Well, Aaron, I am really happy to have had this opportunity to talk with you and I just want you to know, I appreciate you and I appreciate what you're doing. And I have seen your videos and man, you got some swagger. <laughs> I'll give I you try. that. <laughs> I, I think you do more than try. It comes from somewhere. It's, it's in there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. It's gotta be the suit. I'm telling you, it's gotta be the suit. Little, little, little bit of Elvis, a little bit of Harry Styles, a little bit of suit and one drink. And I think that's the magic, the magic juice. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking the time to to sit down with me here today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. You too. So there it is. Aaron Smith, Elvis tribute artist. Great guy. He's a really great guy. A lot of energy. Uh, he's He's got videos out there on YouTube. He's also got a Facebook page. Uh, aside from his personal page, which I'm, I've become friends with him on Facebook, and he's a great guy. He's, he's uh, really funny on Facebook. He shares a lot of stuff. But his Elvis tribute artist page is up, and you can like that and see what he's got going on. As he's mentioned, he's got some shows coming up the early part of this year, and he's got some plans for later on, which is great. We wish him the best in everything that he's doing. So Lori is not here for the wrap-up this week, and that's okay. I just wanted to say a couple of quick things. Valentine's Day is around the corner, and we might not get something out before that, but we love you. You know that we do. 
We want to thank everybody for their feedback on the previous two episodes, which were the wrap-up of 2021 and also our 10-year anniversary for Kettling Cup. I don't know that we're going to do another one of those in a while, maybe not for another 10 years, but it is nice to see that people still have fond memories of that time and that place. Our life is different. It is drastically different because of it and because of all of you who are there. So I did want to, again, mention our love to all of you. And I apologize. There were many, many people associated with Kettling Cup that did not get a mention, but know that you are important to us, everybody out there. I wanted to take a moment to mention our good buddy, Roscoe Foster formerly of The Rascal Theory, which I believe The Rascal Theory is not what it once was. It is now becoming a new thing where Roscoe is focusing mostly on his original material. Well, Roscoe was not doing too well. He had a bout with COVID that was pretty severe. He was in the hospital for a while. And we want to wish him the best in recovery. We want to wish him the best in the future. Roscoe, if you're listening, which I hope you are, know that I love you and I appreciate you. And I hope that things are going to get better for you and you get stronger every day. I look forward to hearing your music. I look forward to seeing you again out in the public eye and on social media. And all the best to you. I also want to say that things are running pretty smoothly for me here in Florida. I'm starting a new band. You might have, if you're a friend of mine on social media, received a friend request. Well, not a friend request, but a, a page-like request for the Florida Rhythm Kings, which is our new three-piece band. It's me, a guy named Mike on drums, and a guy named Brent on bass. Great guys they are, and we're working pretty hard at getting a set together and getting out and playing. So anybody out there listening in the Southwest Florida area, we definitely could use your support. Just go to our Facebook page, look for the Florida Rhythm Kings, that's us, and give us a like and share us. And please give the podcast a like and share us. And go to Apple Podcasts or go to iHeartRadio or go to Google Play. Wherever you have been listening to this podcast, please, it only takes a minute and a half to rate and review. We love to have five stars, but be honest. Be honest about what you like, maybe even what you don't like, and put it out there. We need to know. You can always contact us via our email, which is porternotes. P-O-R-T-E-R-N-O-T-E-S at gmail.com or go to our website porternotes.com and you can send us a comment that way or go to our hosting site for the podcast which is Podbean send us a comment that way there's a million different ways that is not hyperbole a million different ways (laughs) that you can get in touch with us many of you have my phone number Send me a text message. I'd love to hear from you. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know how you're doing. All right. So next episode will be up pretty soon. Uh, Fortunately, we've gotten a lot of requests for interviews lately, so we're going to be swinging back into that for a little while. 
and you will hear all kinds of different musicians, artists, authors from around the globe, and that's going to be great. So please continue to tune in. We hope to talk with you soon.